Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Local Youth Worker, a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. I'm your host, John Parrott. We're about to get to my conversation with Chris, Kyle, and Scott as we continue this season of the podcast looking at teens and technology. We're specifically zooming in on the issue of social media, so I hope you'll enjoy that conversation. Just wanted to let you know that we'll be concluding this series with uh, this episode, and uh, we'll be taking a little bit of a break before we kick off the next season of the podcast, so stay tuned for more details to come on that. For now, here's my conversation with Chris, Kyle, and Scott. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome back. Uh, Today, I welcome a few people to the podcast. Uh, Let me first introduce Chris Martin to you. Uh, Chris is the content marketing editor at Moody. He's also done some work with Lifeway Christian Resources. Uh, He leads the student ministry at his church, uh, City Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Uh, He also studies internet culture and the effects of social media on broader society for fun. Uh, Welcome, Chris, to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, Chris, why don't you just elaborate a bit on your work, what you do for for Moody? I know you've, again, like I said, done some work for Lifeway and you recently transitioned, but then also let people know a little bit about your newsletter, Terms of Service. Yeah. So um, I work at Moody Publishers, which is based out of Chicago with Moody Bible Institute, if you've heard of that. Um, But I live here uh, just outside Nashville because I spent seven years working for Lifeway at Lifeway. I worked in a number of roles over the seven years I was there, almost always related to social media of some kind, um, helping some executives with their social media or blog platforms, help them do as much ministry as they can and serve people effectively. Uh, As you know, social media platforms and strategies are changing all the time. And my job was always kind of to try to stay on top of those and make sure we were spending our time and resources as effectively as we could. Um, Got to do a lot of different things there, helped coach some authors on social media, eventually was helping lead the social media strategy across the organization. And then uh, in September of 2020, I moved uh, to work for Moody, where I am really grateful to be serving as a content marketing editor. And it's kind of a new role there where Moody's trying to provide some more online content and kind of mine the treasure troves treasure trove of books that they have uh, over the, that they've published over the last hundred plus years uh, and just say hey what can we pull from these books and w- post it online um, maybe we're doing a video series with with an author who published a book even 20 years ago what are some ways that we can take the relationships that we have the content that we have and make it as helpful kind of in the 21st century as we can and so I naturally have a lot of experience doing that, and I'm really enjoying the couple months I've got to spend here so far just uh, mining these this massive library of books that we have and figure out how can we translate this stuff to the internet today and help people as much as we can. So it's been really fun. Um, I run a newsletter called Terms of Service. Um, I, I've been writing online since I was in eighth grade, actually. It's kind of a long and funny story. Um, oh. You don't want to read the stuff I was writing back then. It still <laughs> exists too. And nobody has the URL but me. Um, <laughs> and so I used to write a blog called The Millennial Evangelical back in the day where I was helping pastors um, from from someone who is a millennial try to reach this, what was an emerging generation is now the, now the uh, sort of older folks, I guess you could say. Um, and so I did that for a few years, really enjoyed that. And then uh, in the last two years or so, um, I've started doing a lot more reading and writing on social media and its effects on us, our minds, our hearts, um, our souls, and really just trying to, this, this work that I do 
as my day job, you know, using social media as ministry. And I see a lot of good naturally, but it also fascinates me to study how the different algorithms on the, on every major social media platform works, what social media and how we interact on social media says about who we are, because not only does it form us, but it reflects a lot of our hearts as well. And so what do different trends mean? You know, if some, if some certain kind of content's really popping, why is that? Is it because a platform is rewarding that kind of content? And if so, why are they rewarding that kind of content? Or is it just because of something that's in our hearts as humans that's making that content pop? Uh, and so I just love studying that kind of stuff and trying to figure out, um, call it armchair sociology, whatever you want, but really it's it's studying social media from a Christian perspective, but not not just like I don't like, I, I don't do a theology of social media. Um, that's not really my game. Plenty of people do that and they're really good at it. I like studying social media and saying, here's everything that I'm seeing now. How does that affect our walks with Christ and, and just our interest in spirituality generally? So I just finished a manuscript for uh, B&H Publishers, which is Lifeway's trade book publisher for a book tentatively called Terms of Service that will be released uh, in February of 22. Um, now I, got, I had to get bumped for something else, but, um, February of 22, that'll be coming out and, uh, that'll be my first book on social media and its effects on us. So, uh, I assume we'll get into a lot of that, but it's a really fun topic for me. And I write that newsletter, uh, three times a week. Nice. Well, already just from that intro, I'm just glad we've got you on here because there's so much that you just said there where I wanted to interrupt you and start talking about. So hopefully we will get into some of that, but let me also welcome uh, Kyle Hoffsmith and Scott Heron to the podcast. Uh, Scott has been on the podcast a few times. Uh, again, I should go back and look that up, but I can't remember if it's three or so. And I know uh, he is serving in student ministry out in Bozeman, Montana. So Scott, why don't you just remind everybody um, which church you're serving at, how long you've been there, all that good stuff. Yeah, thanks, John. Um, and uh, really honored to be on this show today. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm in Bozeman, Montana at Trinity Church. I've uh, been here uh, about seven, seven and a half years. I'm the student student and family pastor and um, uh, just just loving it, loving uh, working with these kids and working with families. And it doesn't hurt to have mountains in the background as well. Um, Pre-recording, <laughs> Scott was showing us uh, his view out of the window and it uh, <laughs> made us all just a little jealous uh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Kyle, it's like social media, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. That's what you did. Yeah, exactly. Um, Kyle, uh, he has been on RYM student podcast actually this, this last season. And I know, I don't think I'm mistaken. Weren't you on Walt Mueller's or the, I guess I should say the CPYU podcast, youth culture matters. Weren't you on there as well? Yeah, I was recently on the, uh, CPYU podcast and recently, uh, which is very, uh, it goes along with this podcast today join the board of the center of parent youth understanding so that's right. excited to jump into this conversation today yeah yeah and, and Kyle why don't you uh, tell our listeners where you are and which church you're at and uh, family all that stuff yeah I'm a youth pastor pastor of student ministry at Old North Church which is in Canfield Ohio right outside of Youngstown and uh, similar to what Scott said just really blessed to be able to give my life and my time to helping students know Jesus, uh, mainly through the preaching and teaching of his word uh, at such a formative age that these students are at. So I'm here um, with my wife, Jenna, and we have a one-year-old daughter named Madeline that is keeping us keeping us moving right now in uh, in December. So uh, yeah, are you getting any sleep? Uh, yes, we are getting sleep. Uh, we are getting sleep in spurts. So. <laughs> 
Well, look, th- thanks again to each of you for, for coming on the, on the podcast today. Uh, those who listen know that we are discussing teens and technology on this season, and we're uh, getting at this topic from from a lot of different angles, uh, trying to discuss uh, a lot of different topics related to this, and uh, really zeroing in on social media today, as we, we've said from the outset. Um, and so really, uh, Chris, I'd love for you, as you've already kind of said some of this in the intro, but uh, you said you, you enjoy studying the effects of social media on, on broader society and your bio, you said you do that for fun, um, armchair sociologist or however you said it. Um, can you share just a little bit more about what that looks like and what it is that kind of intrigues you about that? Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I grew up in, you know, I was born in 1990. I just turned 30 this year. Um, and I, we have a, we have an eight month old daughter, Kyle. So I understand a little bit. Uh, we're just a few months behind you. And, um, and so, you know, I think a lot about how things have changed over the years as I've engaged with social media. My da- my dad worked at IBM when I was growing up uh, for most of my life until I was about a senior in high school. And so we had a computer in my home very early. Um, there are pictures of me sitting on my dad's lap when he was working from home in 1993, long before Zoom was around. In fact, our local, our local paper did a story on this new uh, this new phenomenon of people working from home. And they, there's a picture of me in the story sitting on my dad's lap as he's at his <laughs> computer. And it's like the Joe Martin, uh, father of Christopher three sitting in his lap has a dedicated phone line for his work calls. And uh, so, so I grew up kind of like tinkering on computers at a really young age, you know, in the early 1990s, I remember when we got our first windows 95 machine, I was like four or five and playing around on that and just, tinkering around i remember in first and second grade coming home from school and being one of my one of the first people i knew in my class who had an aol instant messenger account and um we didn't have a we didn't have aol the service because a it was too expensive and b my dad worked for ibm which had a competing service at the time prodigy and so but i did have an instant messenger account so i remember going home and getting on instant messenger and like getting super excited when I heard the little door creak open, if anybody was is old enough to remember that. And it'd be like, wow, one of my friends from my second grade class just got on and I can type a message to them and chat <laughs> back and forth after school uh, and talk about what happened at recess or whatever. And so I have just these very early memories of what social, I mean, that was social media as much as Facebook is. And so, um, and naturally, I mean, I grew up in middle school with MySpace. And so a lot of what the stu- what students are facing right now um, in terms of the social pressures that come with that, they're certainly feeling it much stronger than I ever felt it. But I felt probably a, a, to a smaller degree, a good bit of what they're experiencing. And so um, because it's fascinating to me how, algorithms and math, which I can't stand and have always had trouble with, uh, is really governing our social ethos right now. And basically, so like, here's the deal, like, here's something that fascinates me. Let me just use this example. Mm-hmm. So Facebook exists to make money primarily, right? Which is fine. That, that That's totally cool in how our economy works. But how Facebook makes money is Facebook needs to keep your attention, Um, So this is the kind of thing I think about and study and research and write about for fun. So if Facebook exists to make money and the way Facebook makes money is by keeping your attention, then the worst thing Facebook can ever do from a business perspective, from its goal, its mission is to deliver you content that's boring, to deliver you content that 
makes you react in no way makes you doesn't make you mad or it doesn't make you happy it doesn't make you excited doesn't make you sad you just scroll by it and you're like it's noise doesn't mean anything to me that's the worst thing facebook can do so facebook's goal is to deliver you content that makes you feel something a lot of people have said facebook's facebook just wants to make you happy no no, Facebook doesn't really care if it makes you happy or it makes you mad. It just wants to make you feel something because if it makes you feel something, whether it makes you happy or it makes you mad, then you engage, you click like, you, you react in some way. Maybe it's a like or maybe it's the frowny face, whatever. Um, maybe you comment, maybe you share it and say, this is so ridiculous or this is exactly right. And then you keep coming back uh, because as Sean Parker, a former president of Facebook has said, um, it's created to hack the human brain. You have people in the smartest engineers in Silicon Valley, whether it's at Facebook or any of these other major platforms, um, who are some of the smartest engineers in the world have dedicated their lives to hacking the human brain by constantly hitting the dopamine hit that you get when you get a red notification bubble or whatever else, whatever, whatever other form uh, of, of feeling good that you get, that, that, that euphoria. And the goal is to just keep you coming back. So people ask, well, how, how has Facebook polarized us? Is that even real? We're only to blame. Social media is a neutral platform. I used to say things like this, and we can talk more about this if we want to go deeper into this, but I actually don't think social media is neutral anymore. Um, I think social media is bent toward destruction and evil. I don't think social media is like a hammer that you can use to destroy or you use to build up. I think social media is predisposed to be used negatively. It's kind of, as we say, bent that way. It's not neutral to be used one way or the other. I think because uh, this is the number one way uh, you can tell, I think, is you have to be intentional to use social media for good. It doesn't just accidentally happen. And so um, the more I study these things and just like, wow, you mean algorithms are engineered to get us to feel something and react? And Facebook has in its own internal research found that its algorithms do create polarity and polarization, well, then we ought to do something about that. So me and my, you know, gifts, I guess, that I have as a writer and communicator, I want to educate people about that stuff. So, you know, I have friends or family members, especially older family members on Facebook, this is where I see it most commonly, who just scroll their Facebook feeds constantly and become indoctrinated by these feeds. I mean, as Obviously, I help lead a youth ministry and um, I'm friends with plenty of pastors, but a pastor, in terms of influence, a pastor cannot hold a candle to most people's Facebook feeds. It's just a reality. And so I mean, people used to say the same thing about cable news, which is still certainly influential, but most pastors can't even hold a candle to influence that a Facebook feed has over someone for sheer lack of time that they spend with them because people are on Facebook constantly. And so these Facebook feeds are constantly driving this wedge. Um, and I think are much of the reason we have us where we are now. And what I want to do is just communicate to people, look, you're being played. You're being played. This is not, um, it's not neutral. It's not coincidence. Uh, when you log on, the goal is to get you to feel something. So when you see this, like, let's say your Facebook knows and you are super pro-life and you see an ad that's delivered promoting some sort of abortion policy or Planned Parenthood or something like that, um, and you've somehow been targeted in that way, you're getting that 
on purpose to, to get you to react in some way. And I feel like if we can get people to recognize um, that so much of the underlying kind of under the hood mechanisms that are at play are not to make you happy or even make you feel neutrally, but sometimes to make you mad, um, we can make a lot of progress. The way I put it is there's that old, um, adage that goes, and I forget the guy who said it. I, I, it begins my book, but there's a fish going by and the old fish asks the two younger fish, who's this? You're, you're nodding. Who is it that writes this? Do you remember? I, I um, don't off the top of my head. I, I, I forget. But anyway, it's, um, Cormac McCarthy. Is that it? Anyway, so he, he says the younger fish, or the older fish is swing by two younger fish and the younger, the older fish says to the younger ones, Hey, Hey boys, how's the water today? And the younger fish say, what's water. And he's like, it's the illustration is the older fish is wise enough to know that these fish are all swimming in water and that the water could be toxic or it could be clear. And the younger fish who are, you know, theoretically naive, not quite as mature as the older fish are swimming by not even thinking about the fact that they're in water, but the older fish knows to ask and knows that it could be toxic or it could be poisonous or whatever. And I, in much of what I do want to do what I can to be the older fish among all of these fish that are all of us swimming in the social media waters that we can't really escape no matter how many accounts we delete because somebody will still bring it up in conversation. Did you see on Facebook X, Y, or Z? My goal is to be the older fish and not ask how's the water, but to say the water is toxic. Hold your breath. Try to get a scuba gear or something like that and, and, and do what you can to try to purify the water here and there as best we can. So that's kind of what I do and, and why it's interesting to me. And obviously there are massive spiritual and discipleship implications with everything I just said, but a lot of what I write is informed kind of by my faith, but it's not like, and here are five Bible verses to explain why that's a problem or, or whatever. No, that, that is so good, Chris. And again, I like how you pointed out at the beginning, you have to be extremely intentional to use social media for good. That it's just, if you kind of follow it in its normal kind of course and path, that it's it's not neutral. It does take you in those negative directions. And I do want to point people to an article you wrote uh, entitled, Social Media Isn't All Bad. And that's at your, your site, Terms of Service. And that's how I first got connected with you. That was featured on Tim Challey's A La Carte. Um, and so we want to say that there can be goods. There are ways in which uh, social media can be helpful uh, to Christians, but there's also negatives. And so, Kyle, I thought, too, as, as we had spoken a little bit, you shared a story with one of your students that kind of highlights the good. But then also, how can we use this intentionally? So, Kyle, why don't you share that? Yeah, Chris, and thank you for sharing about, you know, helping as we think here on this podcast, a local youth worker podcast, helping local youth workers think through um, how to help students think about this water that they're swimming in. Um, as John mentioned, I was reminded this past spring as we were doing youth ministry, as so many of us were, as stay at home and um, so many youth Bible studies on Zoom, we had a student uh, request to join one of our Zoom Bible studies, and I didn't recognize his name. And as I got to know him and um, then he requested to be baptized a few weeks later, we, we wanted to hear his story. And here during the stay at home time back in March and April, he was on TikTok. And, you know, I, I don't know that I'd ever push a student towards TikTok, right? Uh, as you were just sharing, Chris. And his story was he was on TikTok one day and saw something about the end of the world and it scared him. And as he was sharing, he didn't even own a Bible, but his dad owned a Bible. So he started reading his dad's Bible, which then led him to ordering a Bible and he's starting to read a Bible. 
And to the best of my knowledge, um, God opened his eyes to the truth of the gospel through reading the Bible. And what drove him there was something he saw on TikTok. <laughs> and a few weeks ago when I baptized him, it was kind of funny. We laughed in front of our church, you know, with people like, do you even know what TikTok is type thing? But, you know, that goes to that article you wrote, Chris, that I think a question that I would have for you that I think would be helpful for all youth workers is how can we highlight the good of technology or the good of social media without condoning all the bad that happens on these platforms? Sure, sure. And uh, as a matter of correcting myself, it was David Foster Wallace who gave that fish quote. Yeah. So for the record, David Foster Wallace. Um, yeah, so the... Um, there's good of social media everywhere. I think, you know, real relationships can be formed on social media. Um, a couple of friends that I've actually had the opportunity to end up living close to, um, one of my very good friends, Brandon Smith, who now lives, actually teaches at Cedarville, um, was at Lifeway for a number of years. We had, we first became friends on social media and then ended up living a half mile apart and, and his wife became like a sister to my wife. And it really, you know, that's a real relationship that was formed on social media. Tim Challies, who's kind enough to uh, link to my newsletter from time to time. He and I have become very good friends over the years and uh, make sure to get dinner if when we go to conferences. Do you remember what those were? Um, and so, uh, so, so we've connected, you know, and, and become good friends. And um, so I think there are a lot of really good things that can happen on social. And for youth ministers, whether you're a youth pastor or a volunteer, um, I think the way you can highlight the good of social media uh as you're talking with students or even with other youth ministers or youth workers is to simply do simply that, like highlight the good, um, talk about it. I think the worst thing you can do is pretend it doesn't exist. So I think it's honestly like a responsibility of youth pastors to be pretty familiar with TikTok and how it works and what it's learning about our students and everyone else who use it. Now I'm not saying like there's, there's, one extreme and there's another here. So there's uh, you're the youth pastor who knows nothing about TikTok and just says, oh, TikTok, it's one of those sexting apps, isn't it? You just don't go there. Don't do that. Don't use that. And you and you just act completely uninformed about TikTok. That's one extreme I would say is unhealthy when it comes to uh, ministering to students. The other extreme is like you become the TikTok youth pastor, which maybe there are some of those and maybe they're great and no, no affront to them. Uh, maybe there are some on the zoom call. I'm not sure, but, um, but then there, you, you know, you become like the guy who's totally immersed in, you know, the youth pastor, youth worker, who's totally immersed in TikTok, And you're like, it's the greatest thing in the world. And you're trying to create content for it and you're doing whatever else. That's obviously another extreme that can be pretty negative. So I think, generally, when it comes to TikTok or any other social media platform, I don't think youth workers necessarily have to be super active using these platforms all the time. I think just being informed is a really important step, knowing what trends, like one of my favorite things to do, like genuinely one of my favorite things to do when I'm hanging out with the students, like before we start doing our like scheduled programming on a Wednesday night for youth group, is just asking them like what they've been watching, what they've been um engaging with like who their favorite YouTubers are, who their favorite TikTokers are. And then I'll go watch those people because for the most part, my student, like the students that come to my youth group aren't watching things that like I would be uncomfortable watching. Now they may be watching things that I like wouldn't endorse, uh, but there, there are things like if they refer me like, oh, I've been watching this YouTuber or I've been watching this TikToker, I'll go look them up and say, what are these people doing that this is another way studying social media is like a fun nerdy hobby for me one time a couple years ago i had 
was totally new to the YouTube space. Like I just saw it as a place you uploaded video. I didn't see it as a place with like an actual culture and ecosystem. And I was talking to plenty of students and uh, hearing all these YouTubers they were watching. And I was like, hold on, hold on, like influencers on YouTube. So I went and did a study of like, what makes all of these YouTubers in the, like I found 15 of the most popular YouTubers in the world and said, uh, this beauty YouTuber, this beauty vlogger, uh, this gaming YouTuber, this sports YouTuber, this like drama channel, like like reports on all the drama among these various social. What makes all of these channels popular? Like what's the lowest common denominator that makes all of these popular and why are students drawn to each of these? So I think as much as you can study the things your students are involved in uh, to the point that you're not immersing yourself in them or becoming obsessed with them yourself, but you can talk on their level about things and relate to them, not in the cheesy, cool youth pastor way where you're like trying to be in on the joke, but um, so that you can have an actual conversation with them about like what Fortnite is and not just be like, Oh, have you, have you been playing Fortnite? But you can be like, did you see, this new thing or did you see you know just keeping up to date i think that's one way that you can really connect with people with students through that but also just like asking students how they're using social media in constructive ways and just having the conversation is a great first step because unfortunately in my experience a lot of these students aren't having those kind of conversation with even their parents so i think if you can just have a conversation where they can feel like they can talk about these things and where they don't feel like they're going to be belittled for loving a particular YouTuber or watching all of a Twitch streamer's streams or something like that. I think just being willing to have that conversation is a really good first step. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and I think, as you said, to, to not only just be a student of the culture, to kind of know uh, what they're into and what, you know, apps that they're into. So we're not just ignorant that we need to be um, a student uh, of that. So I think that's yeah a great point. And Scott, I wanted to go to you too, um, as well. So do you have any questions here that are coming up from this conversation? Man, uh, thanks, Chris and Kyle. It's such good stuff already. I kind of kind of forgot I was participating. I was like learning so much here. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, I think I have a question for Chris and Kyle. You're both in front of students. Um, and I wonder if you use uh, as an application when you're teaching the students, uh, do you go to, you know, the idea of, of addictions and disordered worship? I think Ed Welch talks about that. Um, and the idea that do you when you're teaching the students, do you do you reference social media to draw them out, like using it as a mirror to help them see or understand uh, where the idols are, where their worship is disordered? Have you done that before? And then another question real quick. What do you do about the kids that really aren't on social media? And, you know, how, how are you careful to not make them think, oh, I should be on there because we're talking about it, because we're discussing it. Uh, you know, I think that that could kind of cause some some issues as well. So I'd love to hear some thoughts on those. Yeah, as we as we work with students here at our church, uh, to answer your second question first, Scott, um, one way that we've found to be our best way to communicate with students uh, has been on Instagram. We've seen that most students have left Facebook as their parents have got on Facebook, and they've uh, kind of migrated to Instagram. And we found that as a safe uh, space for us to be able to communicate with students and to be able to advertise for events and such. And so it's been interesting because even right now uh, here in Ohio um, with our current climate with COVID and we've had to uh, 
make another adjustment to meeting, I'm posting uh, a, one video every day from December 1st to December 25th, kind of like Advent videos where we're going through Luke 1 to Luke chapter 3. And I'm only posting them on Instagram, which probably 85% of my students are on and they can access these videos every day. But it does make me think, I, I know of one family in particular where the parents do not allow their students to have Instagram. And so as I'm navigating this interesting time where I want to get content to students and I want to use social media, as Chris just said, for the good, yet at the same time, I don't want to um, treat certain students as second-class citizens because they don't have, they don't have social media. So how I'm kind of navigating that right now is um, due to the, just the COVID climate we find ourselves in, um, just trying to to make as much accessible as we can to students, but at the same time realizing uh, right now is not the time where we can hit everyone uh, with the same with the same thing. But I'd, I'd love to take your question one and kind of throw it Chris's way. As we think of, you know, Ed Welch, I, I think, John, you're the one who mentioned it in your book. You quote um, Ed Welch in your book on technology about that addictions are ultimately a disorder of worship. And Chris, it sounds like you've spent a lot of time thinking through um, people, but in this case, specifically students who are addicted to social media is I, I think what Scott's getting at here is how do we help them see this as worship or lack of worship? It's a good question. I think it's fair to say that if a student's on social media, they're probably addicted to it. Um, uh, I think a lot of that is because social media, I never really put it this way before. I don't think I've ever written this or anything, but I think a lot of it is scrolling on social media is more like a mirror than we like to admit. And we worship ourselves more than just about anything. And so I think when you're scrolling on social, whether you're seeing your content or other people, other people's content, it's a reflection of you and your values and your interests. And so I think um, a lot of students, I mean, that again, the, the natural, I talk about with students a lot because they are technologically savvy, even if they're not on social media, they know technical terms and things like that. And so I talk with students a lot about our default modes. So a lot of students, when you talk about original sin, some of my students may glaze over if I start using what I call church words, which is we often, uh, about once every two or three years, we'll do a series um, called like Christianese where I like each sermon is like, here's what grace is. Here's what mercy is. These words that you only ever hear on Sunday morning, maybe in your house, if your parents are discipling you. Um, but where a, uh, a talk about original sin may cause some of my students' eyes to glaze over, uh, if I talk about like, hey, your default mode when you're on social media is to just scroll and scroll and scroll and never want to stop, they get that because they know what it's like to have a default setting and then change that default setting. Um, and so they understand when, I'm when I talk in that language that um, they are all addicted to social media unless their parent is requiring them to, you know, I, I know of no student who has a healthy relationship with social media that has maintained that healthier relationship on their own without parental restraint. Does that make sense? Now that doesn't mean there aren't any at all. And there may even be some in the youth group that I lead, but every student I know who I would say probably has a healthy relationship with their phone generally or social media specifically, I know that their parent is probably making them put that phone, like charge that phone in the kitchen at night or have a certain amount of time per day with the phone and on social media. I don't know of any student who, of the students that I can think of in my student ministry 
whose parents are a little bit more um, loose with their restrictions on phones or social media, who they themselves have established a healthy, you know, I'm, I lock my phone up in the kitchen, you know, I, I plug it in the kitchen and leave it there or, or whatever. I think students left to their own devices naturally have an unhealthy relationship. So I think it's just about having that conversation. And again, in my experience, the most effective way of having this conversation is coming alongside the student, not talking down to the student. Um, so as much as I cannot, uh, where, where I want to convict students, I don't want to shame them. Um, because I find that I, where I have done that even privately with students that I maybe feel closer with, and I want to go a little hard in the paint as it were on them. I find that they tend to repel from that and want to know where I struggled similarly with my phone when I was in high school, you know, um, or things like that. And so I think trying to come alongside them and have a conversation about their relationship with their phone or with social media uh, is as effective as anything. And so I think talking about addiction with that, talking about, I talk, I tell my students all the time that the line that everybody worships something um, and we talk about what that looks like for them. And, and so I think that's a little bit of how I have that conversation, but it, it's, it can happen in a, a lot of different ways, I think. And as we think about uh, what you were just saying, Chris, about uh, thinking this through with students, I was wondering if I could personally pick your, your guys' brain. We've all worked with in the student ministry, local church context is um, how do we communicate this with parents? I was just, uh, before I came in here my, into my office to record this podcast, I, I asked one of our secretaries who at our church who has stu uh, three students in our student ministry, like, hey, I'm going to be on this podcast talking about technology and teens. And the word that she shared was that she's exhausted. And she brought up a point that, um, that her student, her kids are like, for, this is like first generation to have this type of technology. And so I was wondering if, if any of you have some advice for me, but also just for anyone listening to this podcast on how, you know, not first level connecting with students, but how we can equip parents to help their students think through this. Yeah, I, I guess speaking to that is, um, you know, when I did youth ministry in, in the local church, when I was younger, um, I would point my parents to someone like Walt Mueller, for example, yeah. <laughs> where um, I wasn't the young youth staff trying to tell parents how to do their job. But here was this older guy, not throwing Walt under the bus, being old. If he hears this, he'll, he'll laugh at that. But um, where I could say, hey, here's what this guy's saying about this social media platform. But I did see it as my job to um, constantly you know, alert them to these concerns, to send this in an email newsletter, to just keep this in front of them because uh, we have a way of just kind of getting lulled to, to sleep and just kind of normalizing what, what in, in many ways shouldn't be normal in the life of a student. And so I just kind of constantly raised those issues. And the older I got, and as I had children, I could speak to that um, on my own, but, but then also now, I mean, reacting to the comment on exhaustion there, you know, I have a teenager in my house and so it is exhausting. I mean, there's, um, I've, I've said this before, but I think it was Walt Mueller who said, I used to be the perfect parent and then I had children, um, that I've been humbled by the reality of having a teenager in the house and, and just these issues, they're so constant. They're so, they're just coming at you 24 seven. And then you feel like you're having to make these decisions all the time and, and keep up with this. And so it, it is exhausting, but, um, I would say that was an easy way to just try to keep the issues before the parents and, and be that influence to make sure they're hearing about this and then pointing them to those resources. It's kind of a way I, I dealt with it. Scott, I'd, I'd love for you to, to speak and Chris as well. Yeah, that's a great question, Kyle. Um, I, uh, I love 
the part of one of the parts of my jobs that I love so much is getting to interact with parents. It's uh, it's just a real joy. And uh, I have a newsletter that goes out weekly and I'm constantly throwing stuff their way from CPYU and RYM. And, uh, and so that's one way I do that. But generally speaking, if I'm meeting with parents, I'd meet with a lot of them for lunches or uh, just conversations. I'll just ask, I'll say, how's it going with technology? And, and hopefully uh, they're honest so that we can talk through how things are, how things are going. And I was, uh, I was given the opportunity a couple of years ago to teach a class uh, at our church on technology. And one of, the, one of the things that's important to me is to really begin conversations with parents of young children, like Kyle and Chris, like yourself. We've got three kids, 14, 11, and nine. And so we're in the throes of it. And it's just so important to get ahead of this issue long before there's ever a discussion about whether or not to get a phone or an iPad uh, or to get a social media account. I think that's really critical. The other, the other issue is, um, you know, not to speak negatively about the technology because the kids love it, right? You know, I'm, I'm tempted to say, well, this, this thing's making me crazy. This is stupid. I'm going to throw it away, right? <laughs> you just lose them. You lose the kids right away. And so to to encourage parents that, um, you know, maybe even engage with your kids in some of their technology. Uh, I've had, I had a conversation with my nine-year-old the other day. I said, is there anything that you, that you've been wanting to do lately that you haven't gotten to do? And he said, I'd really love to play Call of Duty with you, dad. <laughs> and my insides just kind of went, oh, because <laughs> uh, it's like, you know, but that tells me right there, he wants to spend time with me in that format that he enjoys. So, uh, I, you know, getting after the parents when they have young children and also just constantly communicating to your parents about it and just saying, hey, how are you guys doing? How's the tech, the technology issue going? I'd love to hear from Chris. Um, to model, yeah, so I, I echo everything you just said. Um, I think there are two basic practices I would advise parents toward. Um, that I've seen as a, you know, as a kid who grew up with some of this technology um, and as, you know, as an adult now looking, looking at my students and kind of how these things work. First, parents have to model healthy relationships with their phones, period. A student, especially if they're like I was when I was a student, is not going to want to hear about rationing phone time or screen time or social media time if you're scrolling your Facebook feed at dinner. Uh, there's a really sad quote from a book called um, Irresistible, The Rise of Addictive Technology in the Business of Keeping Us Hooked by Adam Alter, in which he um, talks with a kid. Uh, there's a, Well, there's a study that examines the effects of parents' online addiction in their children. And one boy in the book is cited as saying, my mom is just almost always on the iPad at dinner. Colin is the boy. And he says, she's always, quote, just checking. I'm just checking. I'm just checking. I'm just checking. And I one of the things that's hardest for me to watch is parents who uh, get really strict about social media use or screen time among their kids as they're kind of, you know, uh, disciplining them while scrolling Facebook or, or the like. So I think parents need to model this and kind of learn to have a healthy relationship with it themselves first and, and kind of practice, uh, practice what they're asking their, asking their students to practice. Secondly, very much of, of what Scott said. Um, have 
like engage in tech with your kids in healthy ways. Um, not don't only demonstrate a healthy relationship with tech or social media specifically in like how you use it yourself, but also uh, have it be a place in which you can engage with your child. Um, I remember, I remember playing Mario Kart 64 with my dad and how cool, like he was so bad and I would destroy <laughs> him every time, but he would always, for some reason, choose princess peach and race with princess <laughs> peach. And, uh, and I still remember and I, it probably happened like five times and I still remember how cool and fun that was. Um, and so I think, you know, Scott, you, you talk about wanting to play or like your kid want to play Call of Duty or whatever. And like that kind of stuff is really impactful. Like, I don't know if, if parents fully understand how how impactful that really can be. So I think if you can have that be a sort of shared experience, um, not only will you like if you're going to play Mario Party on your Switch with your kid, not only will you actually that will like actually be fun in in and of itself, but you can like you know, you can demonstrate how to lose effectively or how to win, you know, graciously or, or whatever else. Um, and so I think there are all kinds of ways that you can sort of redeem that technology, whether it's video games, social media, Netflix, or the like, um, and not just have it be a thing in your house that's obsessed, it's either obsessed over or demonized. It's never somewhere in between. And I think if you can just have that be a sort of open conversation, um, the healthier it'll be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, now that, that's some great advice and something I, I want to go back to a statement you said earlier about just any that you haven't really observed a student who just kind of has unfettered access to social media and, and uses it well. And so really kind of from that, I'd love to kind of pose a question to all of you. And, and really, it's just the question of how should youth ministries utilize social media in, in their ministries? Um, as I've you know, spoken with other youth workers on this season of the podcast and heard so much. And we know, I mean, the, the data is out there for all of the negatives. I've had a just growing concern uh, for, you know, churches and, and just ministries as a whole in the church, but specifically youth ministry, how, how youth workers are utilizing social media in their ministries. And I would say that they really should back off of that, um, maybe not utilize some of it at all. And I know that sounds extreme to so many, and there are some who would think you cannot do youth ministry without utilizing social media in some capacity. So I'd love for you guys just to kind of react to that, push back, um, completely agree with me on that, <laughs> whatever you want to do. Just, just let me hear from you. Yeah, John, as, as we're working with students here, I, I'm kind of finding it's a situational decision that we need to make when it comes to technology. For instance, uh, I, I've come to a point recently this fall with our students where, you know, a lot of them might say while I'm teaching the large group that they're looking at, at the Bible on their phone, when really I, I know they're just watching a video or sending a Snapchat while I'm teaching. So I love to get to the point where I say, okay, everyone come up here and take a Bible open up to John chapter one, this is where we are today, almost to kind of um, switch their mind from being so used to looking at a screen to now they are reading God's word out of, out of a printed book. But at the same time, I don't want to totally have them think that they can't use their, bi their Bible on their phone, because I do believe there are apps that God can use for good, that some students are now reading the Bible through um, the ESV Bible app or certain um, version Bible um, studies where they are growing. So I think for me personally, I've had to find I can't make a hard line, um, no social media or no technology, but it's more just finding a, um, a situational thing. I did want to mention, though, 
um, for any youth workers working, I have found it fascinating over the past couple of years when we go on retreats or mission trips, this is one of the situations I have drawn a hard line. I don't let students bring their phones. And usually, usually what that results in is a few students who are really angry or, or upset in the beginning. And then when we come home from the weekend or better yet, when we come home from the week to I've really enjoyed being away from my phone. And I, I remember telling a student, uh, you know, you can turn your phone off and put it in a drawer and not look at it. Like, you know, you don't have to look at your phone. But um, that's one thing that I found as one of the most effective things we've done here is just um, almost giving them a technology detox when we go away on trips, uh, which I think allows them to think more clearly. Yeah, that's good stuff, Kyle. Is that okay if I go? Chris, you good? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, man, uh, you know, I, I kind of from day one when I got here just decided that I didn't want them on their phones at all during any youth events. <laughs> and I don't know if that's good or bad, but they do it. And they, nobody, nobody has complained. There's a few, there's a couple of, there's a group of eighth grade girls. Like as soon as we're done, uh, they, you know, whether that, that time period where you're waiting on your parents to come pick you up, they're all, they're always making TikTok videos. So I got to do one of those with them one time and they thought that was hysterical. Can, but, can we uh, see that video by the way? Yeah, <laughs> you do not. Yeah, maybe post that in the, in the, in the show notes. Yes. Yeah. Oh man. Well, it's interesting. There's, this could be a whole nother conversation, but I wanted to see the video and I asked the girl, like, what's your TikTok account? She's like, uh-uh, you are not following me on TikTok. <laughs> I was like, okay, right there. We're talking about that later. Uh, but I do the same thing, uh, Kyle, for retreats, you know, no phones. And, and uh, I find that um, I, I don't want them to, I don't want to send the message that we're afraid of phones, afraid of technology. Uh, I don't want to send the message that, you know, the way we started out, Chris talking about how technology is good. I, I don't want to send those messages, but I also really, it's really important to me as their pastor that they understand that uh, when you come to youth group, when you come to church on Sunday morning, we are, we're doing something that's altogether different than the way that you kind of live your life on a daily basis. And so uh, we do want the, the actual physical Bibles and we, we don't use a lot of slides. I use some videos, um, but I want them to, uh, to really engage in a way and, and hopefully work against that attention grabbing. You know, Chris talked about there's no pastor that can compete with Facebook. Um, you know, he's right, <laughs> unfortunately, but uh, I, I think that we should try. And, I, I, and, and that's kind of the way we've, we've oriented. And I found that a lot of kids, I think, deep down, uh, really, um, they really benefit from that. And I think they, they don't know it yet, but it is affecting them in positive ways. So I'm always open for change and for doing things differently, but that's kind of the way we've done it so far. Yeah, I'm hesitant to uh, prescribe anything um, in terms of uh, youth ministries using social media. Um, and I've had different perspectives on this throughout my time studying social media and throughout my time as a student minister myself. Um, I have never created or engaged in social media as a student minister in the three years I've been officially on staff at my church. Um, now, are there missed opportunities because of that? Possibly. I mean, part of that is because 
I work a full-time job and it's everything for me to show up on Wednesday and do everything that I currently do. So creating social media content's a little bit like low enough on the priority list as doesn't quite make the cut. Um, but I think, you know, if I were in full-time student ministry, I, I'd probably be trying to do something similar to like what Kyle talked about creating some content I've advised and I've like had conversations or advised like youth ministers over the years of, um, you know, like, man, all my students are on Snapchat. Like, can, can I create like stories on Snapchat from a youth group perspective of like, you know, little sermonettes or like funny, like, you know, videos or I'm like, yeah, I mean, there are all kinds of creative things you could do, but I think um, I'm always just very careful to not like guilt anyone to, into doing that. Um, on the, since, ever, since each of you have uh, contributed us to paper Bibles and phone Bibles. Uh, I take the same approach Scott does. Um, we do not use phone Bibles in our student ministry. Um, I, uh, and they, I mean, they all know I work in social media because I'm also talking to them about the latest TikTok trends. And so they, they know that I'm not anti, uh, but they know that I am serious about them paying attention because I talk about attention all the time and about how, their attention is being farmed constantly by all these different platforms. And so um, they know that I want their attention when we're together. Um, and so, you know, we, I, I have them, if they didn't bring one, I have them go grab one from the, from the store of Bibles that we give to visitors. And then we put them back nice and neat, you know, as we can. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I want them to engage with scripture and, and I want them to um, just understand that social media can be valuable, but it, it's more likely that it's going to entrap them. One more thing I wanted to say about the parents, just because it's something I just thought of. Um, my dad, my dad works in cybersecurity and he advises a lot of companies and, um, and health companies and government agencies on cybersecurity stuff, everything you can imagine, basically protecting against hackers and, and information breaches and all of that. And something that he always talks when he's talking with like the chief security officers of these companies and he's advising them on um, cybersecurity stuff, they're all concerned about preventing something bad from happening, right? Preventing a data breach, preventing a violation of, of privacy of some sort. And he basically tells them, and this isn't, I'm going to, I'm going to qualify this metaphor. Um, he basically tells them, don't worry about trying to stop information breach or a privacy violation, assume it's going to happen. Prepare yourself for when it does so that when it does, you can respond and react in the most effective way possible. When parents are considering their students or their kids and technology, I'm not saying let your guard down and let them have unfettered access. That I don't, I'm not saying go to that extreme. But already prepare your heart and your home and your mind and your relationship with your student and your child for when they stumble across pornography, for when they get caught up in like a phishing scheme or some sort of scam or, you know, all the different pitfalls that you can fall into through your phones and social media. Um, if you spend so much time wringing your hands trying to prevent that from happening, you're not going to be prepared when it almost inevitably does. And so try to protect your student from unnecessary harm that they may engage, but also 
create an environment where if your student comes across something they they know they shouldn't be engaging in that they don't feel like they can't have that conversation with you. Um, so just try to create that environment. I, I meant to add that before, so I apologize, but I thought of that as we were talking through this and I want to make sure I added it. Now that, that's an important point to, to bring up. I'm, I'm really glad you did. And I do want to go back just a little bit too, as we were talking about youth ministry and kind of utilizing apps and, and things like that, and just dig in a little bit more to this because some of my struggle in, in having some conversations with other youth workers, they said, you know, it can become kind of depressing when you look at the analytics on social media for the content that you're sending out there to students to try to disciple them and how many are actually engaging with that and looking at that. And so what I want to say is, as we're thinking of youth ministry and how we can utilize social media to disciple our students, I think we're fooling ourselves to think that a lot of discipleship is actually occurring on social media. And so I don't want to discredit that it could be used for that, but I do want to caution youth workers with that and and to, to get, get you guys to react to the fact that, I mean, obviously when our students are getting on Instagram or TikTok, they're not looking for scripture. They're not looking to stop and read anything, but just to kind of passively watch videos. Um, So Chris, I see your hand up. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, I think what you're saying is exactly right. And what I've always advised churches generally or student ministries specifically on in kind of consulting roles that I've had with with different groups is it's, anything you do on social media should always be supplemental to what you're doing in real life. Never let it be like, oh, instead of small group, I'm going to post a video twice a week and that'll be decided. No, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. Um, a, because it's we all know it's not the same. And B, because students generally aren't looking for that kind of content. Second point I want to make, and then I'll toss it to whomever else. Um, this applies to all areas of online content, whether you're working for a Christian publisher like I do, or you're working for Pepsi, or you're working for uh, a student ministry or a church. The best way to create the most effective online content is to just engage with your audience that you're trying to reach and ask them when you get on Instagram, what would be helpful for you? What are you looking for? What do you scroll there to find? And if it's a student, like if I were talking to my students tomorrow night at youth group and I was like, Hey, I want to start an Instagram. I know a bunch of you are on Instagram. What could, what could this, what could city students post that would be interesting to you? That would be helpful. That would be encouraging. Like, do you want to see scripture on your Instagram feed? Do you want funny videos? Like what, what kind of stuff could we do that would be helpful? And if it's nothing, just tell me that. And they're honest enough with me that they would say that, or they may say it would be really helpful if like, I would love to see scripture on my Instagram feed. Okay, cool. I'll create a bunch of Bible verse share squares and we'll run those from our Instagram feed with just like daily scripture to encourage our students. So I think if you're trying to, you know, I know metrics can be really hard and can be really depressing, like you say. uh, And it's, um, I think it's best to not get caught up in that stuff. But if you do want to create content and use that as a means of ministering to students, I think that's noble and possibly a good use of time. But there's no reason not to just talk to your students and say like, hey, you know, I know who I am and I know what I can do, but what would be helpful to you guys to see from our like student ministry Instagram account? Because I want to make sure that if I'm going to spend an hour a week creating content for you, that it's helpful, as helpful as it can be. Yeah, that's some good advice. And I know we're, we're going to need to start wrapping this up before too long. So Kyle, Scott, I'd love for you all to jump in before we wrap this up with any other uh, questions that, that you guys have. Well, uh, yeah, just real quickly, just to, um, to piggyback off of what Chris was saying and what you brought up, John, is that 
I, I guess I, I, uh, we have a, we have an account for Trinity student ministries. We have a Facebook page for Trinity student ministries, but I, I've never done any sort of research to find out if it even works. <laughs> I think it was just something we did when we did it. And, and I'm not sure if there really is any benefit. I think more, more kids follow me personally on my Instagram feed than they do the, the organization, which is kind of interesting to me. And, um, and so I don't know if that really speaks to what you were saying, but I question it constantly. Uh, I've tried to do video announcements and nobody watches them. Uh, it's just like, like Chris just said, when they go to, when they go to these accounts, they're not looking for, they're rarely looking for their youth pastor to say something to them. And so, uh, I, I've, I've pulled back a lot from that. Plus I don't want to create something that um, prevents them from actually, I, I did this with the zoom meetings too. I got, um, when we did zoom back in the spring, we had the stay at home order, but I wanted to, I cut those off as soon as we were allowed to meet again, because I didn't want kids to not show up. I didn't want any sort of media to take the place of, of, of an organized event where they could be face to face, even if we're wearing masks. So that was important to me, but uh, I guess I just, the last question maybe for um, these guys for me is, is as we look to the, this next generation of kids, if I think about like elementary kids, how does all this play out <laughs> in the next 10 years of youth ministry? What does that look like <laughs> for all of these things? The, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> well, one thing, uh, Scott, as I think about your question is I think because as we think about our students today and then we think about those who are in elementary school or, you know, I think of my 13 month old daughter or Chris, I think you said you have an eight month old child. You know, we do not know what technology and social media is going to look like for them. So I, you know, I, I come back to something I heard one time that uh, our friend Walt Mueller said that when a, a child, when a, a person is a child, you think for them. And when they're a teen, you think with them. So when they're an adult, they can think for themselves. And so considering we're not quite sure what technology and social media is going to look like, I think one of the keys for my ministry is going to be trying to teach children and students how to think because they're not always going to be with mom and dad to think through technology, nor do they want to, you know, they're not always going to be with their youth pastor to think through. So I think for me, one thing that I want to really spend a lot of time on, I think over the, in the years ahead is teaching students how to think so that when they're out of youth ministry and they're in college and they're adults, and then they have kids of their own, hopefully they can replicate some of these things that they're learning now when they're in student ministry. And I, I do think, think that we often downplay how much um, how much replication happens so hopefully the things that we're teaching them now will be things that they can teach other people for the rest of their lives I think um, from a human perspective from a sort of worldly perspective the greatest hope we have is twofold one the terrible increasing, epidemic of mental illness and depression that will, as it continues to get worse, inevitably be linked to social media use. Um, it already kind of is, uh, but uh, as it continues to get worse, I think we're already seeing hints of backlash against social media for this reason. And I think it will, by the time my daughter 
is in her teens will be full fledged. And I think, um, so I, I think the, the, that's a big deal. And I think the only other sort of human hope we have, the only other worldly hope we have is that as the current teenagers and college students become adults and have to parent kids through what they've been parented through, um, they will, uh, similar to where, where I understand a little bit of what teens are going through because I did have MySpace and Facebook when I was in middle and high school. Um, today's high schoolers who have TikTok and Instagram right now, when they're 29 and they have kids or older and their kids are teenagers, um, they'll be able to sort of uh, have compassion and, and understand in a way that today's parents maybe don't understand what their teens are going through in a sort of like lived experience sort of way. So my hope is that like generationally that the parents who are currently parenting kids through social media and screen time are the worst at it. Um, just because of experience. Um, that's my hope. Uh, and that, that the mental illness epidemic that, that has already started and will continue to get worse, um, will help everyone have a sobering reflection with their, relationship with social media from an eternal perspective, from a Christian perspective, uh, the good news that we have is good enough even for this. Uh, and so what I have found a lot of my conversations with students and a lot of my sermons or other teaching times end with talking to students about where they find their contentment, where they find their hope. Uh, and that message of, you know, I talk a lot about how we often think of life, and I'm sure this is from someone, so I, apologize, I credit this to whoever originally said it. I don't think I'm the one that invented this, but we often think of life as, you know, we live life and it's a, it's a three books trilogy and eternity is the, is the epilogue at the end of the last book. That's how we often think about life. Whereas, you know, in reality, our life is the introduction to the first book of a three book trilogy and eternity is the rest of that trilogy. And I just try to help students because what social media does in a very tactical way in the life of students every single day is it makes them live in the moment unlike just about anything has in history. It makes them constantly worried about what's going on right now. They're always in the hallway concerned about their perception and their popularity and the like. And what I just try to do, and this is the gospel at work, is just try to show them that there's so much more to live for and so much more to life. And that, that anxiety, that depression, that, that um, nagging that they're feeling as they're constantly scrolling Instagram um, is very short and is a very small part of their greater story. And so I think as much as we can do that um, and, and point students to the real length of eternity and the real length of their lives, it gets them, it helps them have a little bit better perspective of the, trauma of the sort of fire that they're in right now. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. A lot of good words there for, from each of you and to, to use Paul David Tripp's uh, book, Age of Opportunity, uh, to see this as an opportunity. I mean, it can, we can despair very quickly as we have discussions about social media and, and teenagers, um, but to see the, the opportunity that's before us and by God's grace, how significantly he can use each of us by the gifts that he's bestowed and uh, in parenting or in youth ministry uh, to shape the next generation. Um, but to be reminded, I mean, he's, he's reigning, he's ruling, he's over all of this. And so there's, there's plenty of reason for us to hope 
Uh, but Chris, Scott, Kyle, look, I appreciate all of you coming on, making the time today to, to help us think through this conversation. I mean, as we said from the outset, this is a conversation we need to continue to have because there, there's constantly nuances to this that we need to be thinking about. So I appreciate each of you just bringing some nuance to this discussion for us. Yeah, thanks, thanks. John. We really appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. Oh, come and buy without money. Oh, come and feast without pay. Yeah.